Chapter 18 of Molly's Prince. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Molly's Prince by Rosa Nouchette Carey. Chapter 18 Joanna Tangles Her Skin. A child of our grandmother Eve, a female. Oh, for thy more sweet understanding, a woman. Shakespeare. Men are born with two eyes, but with one tongue, in order that they should see twice as much as they say. Colton. The house in High Street where the traders lived was somewhat dingy and uninviting in its outward aspect, but inside it was not without its advantages. A small paved court separated it from the street, and at night its front windows were illuminated by the flaring gaslights from the opposite shops. All day long the ceaseless patter of foot passengers on the pavement and the rumble and rattle of cabs, omnibuses and carts made the narrow windows shake in their frames. And it was far into the night before silence brooded over the old town. On one side of the passage was a small room where Thorold kept a good many of his books and papers. It was called a study, but he never sat there. Joanna had long ago proved to him that with one servant and a limited purse, an extra fire would be quite sinful extravagance. It was for this reason, too, that she so seldom used her drawing-room. It was a pretty room on the first floor, with a pleasant view of the garden, and in the summer she liked to sit at the open window with her work, and watch Thorold digging and raking in the borders. Gardening was his favourite amusement, and he took great pride in his flower-beds. Sometimes, when she had leisure, Joanna would weed or water a little, but she always made much of these labours. The room they mostly used was a large one on the ground floor. It extended from the front to the back of the house, and the two narrow windows at the farther end overlooked the shady old garden. This part of the room was furnished as a study. The stained bookshelves were loaded with ponderous-looking books. A writing-table occupied one window and two comfortable easy-chairs, and Joanna's overflowing work-basket stood on either side of the fireplace. A bookstand and a reading-lamp were by Thorold's chair. The front portion of the room was used for their meals. When Thorold came down that evening, the room looked warm and cosy. The crimson curtains were drawn, and a bright fire blazed cheerfully. The supper was laid and Jemima had just brought it in a small covered dish and placed it before her mistress. Thorold was hungry, for his luncheon had been a light one. For a wonder, the chops were well cooked and hot, and as he helped himself to the nicely browned mashed potatoes, he felt disposed to enjoy himself. He would tell Joanna about his visit to Murdoch and Williams. She would be interested, and for once they would have a sociable evening. He even thought that he would ask for a cup of coffee, as he felt chilled and tired, and then, by way of making himself pleasant, he commended Jemima's cookery. It was an unfortunate choice of subjects. Joanna, who had been tranquilly eating her supper, suddenly grew red and querulous. "'Ah, she can cook well enough if she chooses,' she returned. "'But there, she so seldom chooses to take pains. Thorold, I shall have to part with that girl. Her wastefulness and extravagance are beyond everything.' and then she is so self-willed, too. She will not mind anything I tell her. Again and again I have begged her not to put an egg in the rice pudding, but she does it all the same. I suppose she thinks the egg will make the pudding nicer, returned Thorold mildly. 
and then, to change the subject, he said boldly, I have rather a headache this evening, dear. Do you think Jemima could make me a cup of coffee? She could make it, but I doubt if you would care to drink it, she returned fretfully. And if she wants to go out, too, she has got a young man, I know she has. I taxed her with it this very morning, and she was as impertinent as possible. My dear Joa, for his sense of fairness was roused by this, why should not the poor girl have a lover? She is very good-looking, and as long as she conducts herself properly, I can see no objection to the young man. Yes, and she will be having him in and giving him supper when we are out. Not that I ever do go out, heaven knows. I declare I quite envy you, Thorold, going out every morning to your work. Women's lives are far more dull and monotonous than men's. Here Joanna's voice waxed more plaintive than ever. It was naturally rather a sweet voice, but fretfulness and discontent had deadened the harmony. If, as they say, the closing of an eyelid will shut out the lustre of a planet, so to Joanna the small everyday worries seemed to obliterate the larger and grander interests of life. Jemima's good looks, her lover, her small impertinences and misdemeanors, loomed like gigantic shadows on her horizon. If she could only learn the right proportion of things, Thorold had said once to Althea, almost in despair. When Joanna made her dolorous little speech, Thorold raised his eyes from his plate and looked at her. "'Why do you not go to the Red House oftener?' he asked gravely. "'You know how glad they would be to have you. You stay at home too much, Joe, but it is your own fault, you know. Doreen and Althea are always sending you invitations.' "'Yes, I know, and I am very fond of Althea. But somehow I never care to go to the Red House. It reminds me too much of the dear old manor house.' That room of Althea's makes me quite shiver when I enter it. Oh, I would not give way to those feelings, Joba, he returned hastily. In life one has to harden oneself to all sorts of things, and it is no use moping and brooding over troubles that cannot be altered. If Jemima wants to go out, perhaps we had better not wait any longer. And then he lighted his reading lamp and unfolded his paper. In spite of the well-cooked chops, supper has certainly not been more festive than usual. And then a strange fancy came to Thorold. How would it be with him if some younger, brighter face were to be opposite to him, evening after evening? Would not his home, humble as it was, be a very different place? He knew why he was happier in his chambers at Lincoln's Inn. To his reserved temperament, solitude was far preferable than the uncongenial fellowship with this small human soul, this weary little pilgrim forever carrying her heavy pack of worries. Poor dear Yoa, he said to himself, for his keen eyes had noticed the reddened eyelids. Very likely she remembers that it is Tristram's birthday, and that he is thirty-eight today. Jemima had cleared the table and vanished. He was still alone, and Rabat Lacoon was curled up like a huge grey ball at his feet. The leading article was unusually clever, and absorbed him until a sudden fragrance pervaded the room, and there stood Joanna at his elbow with a steaming cup of coffee. I waited until Jemima went out, and then I made it myself. It is very strong coffee, Thorold, and it will do your head good. Joanna's voice was a little more cheerful as she said this, and the slight flush from her exertions made her look younger. Thorold was quite touched. He put out his hand and patted his sister's arm caressingly. How good of you to take so much trouble, my dear. I never thought of the coffee again. Sit down, Joe, and let us be comfortable. Having wanted to tell you something all the evening. Have you indeed? And Joanna brightened. Wait a moment, I want to wind some wool. 
I can hear you talk all the same. And yet I must mention one thing before you begin. The gas man called for his account, and you forgot to leave the cheque. Did I? I was in a hurry, but I will write it before I go to bed. Thank you. And there is one other thing, Thorold. If Jemima goes at her month, as she threatens, will she not forfeit her wages? You are a lawyer, so you ought to know. I am quite sure Jemima means to do nothing of the kind, he returned impatiently. Look here, Jor, she is the best servant we have had yet, and I would rather raise her wages and part with her. Take my advice for once, praise her a little more and find fault with her a little less, and if you are wise you will leave her young man alone. And then he drank his coffee moodily. Joanna had quenched his attempted conversation again. Joanna pondered Thorold's advice as she unraveled her skein of yarn. It was somewhat tangled, and as she pulled it with nervous jerks, the yarn snapped and the ball rolled from her hand. Thorold suppressed a forcible interjection as he groped under his chair for the ball. If ever he married, he determined that one of the first rules he would make for his wife's guidance would be that all wood winding should be done by daylight. Joanna had a tiresome habit of leaving a tangled skein for the comparative leisure of the evening hours. Thorold used to wonder sometimes if all her skeins were tangled. It got on his nerves sometimes and spoiled the enjoyment of his reading. Joanna's limp, nerveless movements, her jerky beginnings and abrupt endings, her brief spasms of energy and the inevitable hunt for the unlucky ball irritated him at times beyond endurance. It is quite ridiculous and almost derogatory to one's dignity to think how much daily life is marred by these small frets and torments. The buzzing of a blue bottle against the window pane is certainly preferable to a brass band when the instruments are cracked, but the whizzing and fizzing of the insect may in time jar on the ear, and to thin-skinned people a midge's bite is fruitful of irritation. Joanna was making up her mind slowly that her brother had given her good counsel, and that perhaps it would be well for her to follow it. Thorold was the master of the house, and if he wished to keep Joanna, of course the girl must stay. And when Joanna had arrived at this point, she broke the thread of her yarn again. I thought there was something you wanted to tell me, Thorold, she said rather reproachfully, when she had found a new beginning. I had brought my work and I'm ready to talk, but you do nothing but read. Then Thorold drew down his paper impatiently. I thought you were too busy with that work, he returned rather curtly. And after all, it does not matter. It was only about my own business affairs. Oh, but I want to hear it, replied his sister, with much mild obstinacy. It is seldom that you do care to talk to me, Thorold. And here Joanna's voice was decidedly plaintive. I sometimes think that if it were not for finding fault with Jemima, I should almost lose the use of my voice. Thorold was fast losing patience. Joanna was in one of her most trying moods. She was at once aggressive and despondent. She was at all times very tenacious of her sisterly privileges and nothing offended her more than being kept in the dark. Well, he might as well get it over and be done with it, but he would be as brief as possible. I only wanted to tell you that I have had a very satisfactory interview with Murdoch and Williams. Oh, indeed, and here Joanna frowned anxiously over her skein. They are solicitors, are they not? Yes, but they are very big people, Joe. I think I am likely to get the brief, you see, warming to his subject. Our last case was so satisfactory, and we got our clients such heavy damages that Murdoch and Williams were quite pleased. The junior partner made himself very pleasant, and said all kinds of civil things. And you think you will get it, Thorold? And Joanna actually laid down her skein. I shall certainly get it, 
and Thor's eyes flashed with triumphs as he spoke. At such moments his face was full of expression. It will be a big case, Joe, and Sergeant Rivington will be leading counsel on our side. And then again he told himself that his foot was on the rung of the ladder, and that he had begun to climb in earnest. I am very glad, Theo, and Joanna's blue eyes were rather tearful. She and Tristram had often called him Theo, but she seldom used the old pet name now. Thorold smiled a little sadly as he heard it. I knew you would be pleased, dear, and his voice softened. It will make a great difference to our income. Joa, I have made up my mind that the last of the debts shall be paid off before Christmas, and we will begin the new year free and untrammeled. There shall be an end of all your small peddling economies. We shall not be rich, but at least we need not hoard our cheese pairings and candle ends. I do not know what you mean, Thorold, returned Joanna in a puzzled tone. We never use candles except in the coal cellar. Then Thorold gave a grim, unmirthful laugh. If he ever married, the lady of his choice should have some sense of humour. Nothing is more harassing and trying to the temper than to have to talk down to the level of one's daily companion. Althea once said, rather wittily, that Joa's brains were like a nutmeg grater. One had to rope one's nutmeg very hard before the spicy fragments would filter through it. Perhaps we may have a better house soon, he said after a pause. I should like to be out of the town and higher up the hill. The air is fresher, and it will be quieter. Oh yes, much quieter, Joanna smiled, and a pretty dimple came into view. At that moment she looked almost like a girl. We must wait for our good things a little, continued Thorold. But there is no need for us to stint ourselves. And Joa, here he hesitated. Why should you not smarten yourself up a bit? Get one or two new dresses, or any fallals you require. For his keen, observant eyes had noticed that the old lilac silk that Joanna always wore of an evening, a relic of the old manor house days, was faded and darned, and of obsolete fashion. He was a man who was always keenly alive to the wants and wishes of his womankind. But even as he made the suggestion, he wondered why Joanna was hoarding her five hundred pounds, and why she should not use a few pounds to replenish her scanty wardrobe. He knew, and had been very angry when he heard it, that Althea had actually presented her with a beautiful dress for church, because she said Joe was too miserly to spend the penny on herself. Joanna blushed slightly when Thorold made his good-natured proposition. You are very kind, Theo, she said gently as she folded her white, nervous-looking hands over her skin. But I go out so seldom that I do not require many new dresses. I have Althea's merino and, eyeing her lilac silk complacently, there is plenty of wear to be got out of my old gown yet. Well, you know best, returned Thorold indifferently. If he had stated his opinion candidly, he would have suggested that the gown in question should be relegated to Jemima or the rag bag. Well, he had done his part nobly, and now he might take up Gizzard's life. But the next moment Joanna's plaintive tones arrested him. Theo, do you remember what day this is? And as he nodded, she continued mournfully. Trist is eight and thirty today. It is actually ten years since we have seen him. Ten long years. And now a slow tear or two welled down Joanna's face. What a weary time it has been. And he and Ella have never written. Not a line, not a single word, since the little girl was born. He was going to Australia then, and he seemed to write in good spirits. We have his letter still, Joe. He was so pleased with his little daughter, and the prospect of the new birth offered him. Yes, but that was eight or nine years ago. Oh, Thorold, why does he never write? 
Do you think he has ceased to care for us?" "No, my dear, certainly not," replied her brother kindly, for he was moved by her deep dejection. "But you know how casual and happy go lucky the dear old chap always was. Bad habits grow stronger as we grow older. Remember that, Joa. Trist never liked making little efforts. He hated writing letters, even in his school days; probably he hates it still. And yet, for all that, he may be flourishing on some sheep farm or other." But this view of the case did not comfort Joanna, and during the rest of the evening she shed silent tears over her tangled skein. And all the time, not half a mile away, a man and a child sat hand in hand over a smoky little cindery fire, the child's shivering form wrapped in an old Inverness cape. "'Is it always cold in England, father? Why does not Mrs. Grimson make up a big fire?' "'Well, you see, coals are dear a bit, and the stove is a small one.' But my old coat is warm and thick. Why, you look as snug as a robin in its nest, or a squirrel in its hole, or a dormouse, or anything else you like to name. I wonder what Aunt Joa will think of my little Betty when she sees her. Then the child laughed gleefully. Shall we really find them, father? Of course we shall find them, my girlie, but we must not tire those poor little feet too much. Put them up on my knee, darling, and that will rub them and keep the chillblains away. And then as he took the tiny feet in his hand, Bet's thin little arm went round his neck. Oh, father, I do love you so. It makes me ache all over to love you so hard. And then Bet rested her rough, tangled head against her father's shoulder. End of chapter 18